Dispatch, this is Mindy and E-Flo. Well, boy, it's getting cold out there, and I can't imagine surviving winter without a heater. Now, if your heater's making funny noises, just needs a once-over, or your home isn't as warm as it used to be, you better call M.E. Flow. My team is on time, total pros, and can take care of any type of heater repair. Visit meflow.com to get your home's heater in tip-top shape. M.E. Flow, license 271-001-2450. Well, I gotta get back to it. Dispatch, this is Mindy, go ahead. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, all. Lady R slash here. Time for our look into the latest in the Idaho killings. That suspect is linked to the crime scene by phone and DNA. So let's take a look at what we know as of the latest today, Friday, January 6th. All right, so the authorities investigating these killings of the four University of Idaho students pinpointed a suspect thanks to DNA evidence that was left on a knife sheath. The tracking of his phone and surveillance footage near campus and trash collected back in Pennsylvania. These details emerged yesterday, Thursday, as the suspect, Brian Koberger, made his first appearance in an Idaho court. He was wearing his orange jumpsuit and spoke only briefly. He acknowledged that the charges he faced carried a life sentence or even the death penalty. The court did unseal a police affidavit that outlined a cross-country effort to find Mr. Koberger but investigators did not disclose a motive or any personal connections that he might have had to these victims. Mr. Kohlberger, who's 28, had been studying the minds of criminals, and he was pursuing a Ph.D. at the nearby Washington State University, applying for an internship even at the local police department, and continuing to grade papers after he killed these four people. If he did, if he's guilty... That's what he went and did. He has said he looks forward to being exonerated. So we need to be clear here that everyone's looking at him as guilty, right? Looks like he is. We all might think he is. The courts think he is. But it has to be proven. So right now, he is still innocent until proven guilty. Now, the attacks on November 13th, I mean, they rattled the college town of Moscow in Idaho which had not recorded a murder, if you didn't know, in seven years. The victims, Madison, Kaylee, Zana, and Ethan, had all spent, you know, a typical Saturday night near campus, going to a party or a bar before returning home in the early morning hours. Investigators believe that all four were killed shortly after 4 a.m. The authorities, you know, they went weeks without identifying a suspect, pleading with the public for tips and videos that could help them piece together what had led to such a vicious crime while trying to dispel rumors that were spread by online sleuths. Because even though the sleuths are into what they're doing and they're trying to do an honest, good job, it can get in the way of the actual investigation. And I'm not exactly sure how those crisscrossed, but it's enough if they have mentioned it more than once. 
And all right, today we're trying to see what is it exactly that we know so far. Okay, let's look at the attack. We know there was a masked intruder who was clad in black on November 14th, okay? Those victims arrived home before 2 a.m. Investigators said in court records that a white car, which they had identified as that Hyundai Elantra, had been seen in the neighborhood surveillance footage at 3.29 a.m., passing the victim's home three times on their dead-end street. Dead-end street. You know when people drive up a cul-de-sac and they just turn around, maybe they do it more than once? The neighbors, you know, they're watching. They notice this kind of thing. And now it's on surveillance footage. Then at 4.04 a.m., this car returns to the area, at one point doing a three-point turn in the roadway near this particular house where the attacks were. Around that time, two residents of the home, they appear to have been awake. Zana, investigators said, had received a DoorDash order and appeared to have been using the TikTok app on her phone at this same time. Another roommate reported having been awakened by what she thought was an upstairs roommate playing with her dog. And that comes right from the police based on what she told them. Now, sometime after 4 a.m., shortly after 4, that roommate tells investigators that she heard what sounded like crying coming from Zana's room. And if you remember, Zana's one of the victims. It was just down the hall. And this roommate also heard a male voice saying something to the effect of, it's okay. I'm going to help you. So that's odd. Now, at 4.17 a.m., a security camera nearby captures this distorted audio of what sounded like a whimper, and then there was a thud. A d- With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dog was heard barking also. The surviving roommate who talked about hearing the noises also reported that she had eventually seen a man in black clothing and also a mask, walked past her toward a sliding glass door at the back of the house. This roommate went back into her room. She locked the door, and we're just not really sure what exactly she did next. But that's that part of it. 
and I'm sure that more will unfold there. Now, let's go back to what we know about the murders, about what happened, just so we have the full picture. One, these victims were stabbed to death. And again, it's Ethan, Madison, Zana, and Kaylee. They were all students at the University of Idaho, and they were found dead in their rented home. Well, Ethan didn't live there, but he had his girlfriend there. But they were all there. This home was rented and near the campus, and it's in Moscow, Idaho. That's probably something most of you know. The killings occurred on a typical Saturday night after two of the victims had been at a bar together and the other two had gone to a party. And this doesn't seem out of the ordinary, does it, for college students on a Saturday night? It really doesn't. They weren't doing anything to pull this into their lives. They weren't doing anything risky. They weren't out there causing trouble. They were just out there being students and trying to unwind on a Saturday night. All right, so after this murder happens, the big search starts, the search for a suspect. And authorities, they went weeks without identifying anyone. They were pleading with the public for tips and videos that could maybe help them piece together what had led to this crime. And then on December 30th, over a month later, the police arrest Brian Koberger. And he is a 28-year-old criminology student at Washington State University. And you can look at a map, but it's about 10 miles from Moscow. So they get him in as a suspect. They're charging him with murder. After that, the extradition to Idaho happens. Mr. Koberger was taken into custody at his parents' home in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania. On January 4th, authorities transported him by plane from Pennsylvania, where he had made his first court appearance in Pennsylvania, of course, uh, the day before. And he's now on a plane to Idaho. And during that hearing that he had in Pennsylvania, he agreed to be extradited. He was actually happy about it because he wanted to prove his innocence. And then, of course, so all this is going on and we have the charges themselves. So Mr. Koberger faces four counts of first degree murder. This is no joke. And he also is up for one count of felony burglary. Now, authorities have yet to detail what the motive is in the case, because I know a lot of you, I am, also waiting for what that motive is, or how did investigators even come to identify him as a suspect exactly. Can't wait for that information to come out. Now, Mr. Koberger has said he's looking forward to being exonerated. He keeps saying that, his lawyer's saying that, his public defender, and so we'll see what he thinks is going to happen here. It'll be interesting if he really didn't do this. Because everything right now that we can see points to him. Investigators say the white Elantra had been seen speeding away from this neighborhood at about 4.20 a.m. I mean, just that, just that alone fits everything that happened that night. The police, though, were not called to that home for more than seven hours when a 911 call came in and they reported an unconscious person. So investigators arrived to find this not unconscious person, and instead, this horribly gruesome scene of four people stabbed to death in two bedrooms. And one thing I want to ask you guys, I'd love your feedback, what was that seven hours all about? If I was a roommate and saw a guy in black walking around looking at me and then walking out my door, you know, one of my doors out of my residence, the first thing I would do is go find out what the heck was going on. I wouldn't just go back in my room. Um, I might for a minute, you know, lock your door, see what's going on. 
you don't hear anything. I'm, I just, curiosity would kill me. And I'd want to make sure like, that was weird. Is everyone okay? That would bother me until I went out there to see what was going on. So I'm really curious what this seven hours is. And I'm sure there's, could be a very good explanation for it. Um, fear does things to people, but I really like to know what happened in that seven hours. But okay, so this all happens. There are autopsies done and they show that they were stabbed and they do confirm that none of the victims showed any signs of sexual assault, which is just nice to hear in this brutal murder case. All right, and then let's move on to the hunt, the hunt for the suspect, a car, phone records, then a hunt through trash. Well, investigators, they had one key piece of evidence in the home. It was a knife sheath that was found on the bed next to Madison and Kaylee. The authorities also collected surveillance video from the neighborhood, allowing them to identify the vehicle in the area as a white Elantra. We've heard a lot about this car. It was the one piece of evidence that we did know about. As they broadened their search, though, the police at nearby Washington State University found this white Elantra registered there, and that identified the owner as Mr. Koberger. Investigators said his physical features matched the description of the attacker offered by that surviving roommate. Shortly before Christmas, investigators obtained phone records that showed that on the night of the killings, Mr. Koberger's phone had stopped connecting to the cellular network at 2.47 a.m. when he was in Pullman, where the Washington State campus is. So if someone's studying crime, they know that you're going to follow the phone. So did he turn it off? Did he turn off his location? But if he studied crime, he'd know that that's going to make him look absolutely suspicious. And if you've been keeping up on things... That's exactly sort of what the investigators were suggesting, that the phone might have been shut off to shield Mr. Koberger's location. And when the phone reconnected at 4.48 a.m., it was south of Moscow, and it followed a route back to Pullman. So this isn't helping him. If he thinks he's innocent, if he is innocent, this doesn't look good for him. He's really an unlucky guy, if that's the case. Mr. Koberger's phone was back in Moscow in the area near the crime scene later that morning. The phone's history also reflected that it had been in the area of the house 12 times in the months before the murders. That's according to the affidavit. By the end of December, Mr. Koberger had returned to his parents' home in Pennsylvania after he drove cross-country with his father. I mean, can you imagine that that dad, you know, we have the victims on the murder victim side, but there are also victims on Koberger's side, should he be guilty. He just had this great trip with his father driving across country. You know how proud parents are. I mean, this, this guy was successful. Psychology, criminology, PhDs. I'm sure that was one proud father who did not expect this to be happening. And we always want to be very mindful of the victims. And we can't forget who they all are either. But all right, so they have this cross-country road trip. And then the police go there, and they retrieve garbage from the house. This might be new for some of you. And they got DNA sample, and the results showed a strong probability that the elder Koberger was the father of whoever had left that DNA on the knife. Sh- 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chief that was found at the scene. So police arrest Brian Koberger soon after in a pre-dawn raid on December 30th. So while the rest of it, all of us are getting ready for it. We're after Christmas. We've been lounging. We now have New Year's coming up. We're excited. He gets arrested. His parents are shocked. And of course, later he's extradited back to Idaho. But you know, that wasn't a fun New Year's for that family. You got to know that. And then what about this suspect? Okay. What we know is he's a criminal justice student, which we'll talk about that. He's arrested at his parents' home in Effort, Pennsylvania. And in recent months had been studying at Washington State University, which is just over the state line from the University of Idaho. He had taken a keen interest in criminology and the mindsets of those who commit crimes. Some of his former classmates back this up. In the days before the killings, one classmate remembers that he had been highly engaged in this discussion they were having about forensics you know, DNA and other evidence that prosecutors use to win convictions. And in the days after, records show that he was still grading papers in his job as a teaching assistant. I mean, he's seemingly unaffected, you know, outwardly about what he had done if he did it. He had also applied for an internship at the Pullman Police Department. So, I mean, if this guy is guilty, that's quite an ego. It's a lot of confidence. Before his studies at Washington State, Mr. Koberger had been a student at DeSalle's University. It's a Catholic institution in Center Valley, Pennsylvania. And there he studied in part under a woman named Catherine Ramsland. And she's a forensic psychologist. People know this woman. And she's written books even, The Mind of a Murderer, How to Catch a Killer. I mean, we see these things out there. I mean, that's her. He was studying with her. And he got a bachelor's degree from there in 2020, and then completed his graduate studies in June of 2022. So last year, uh, in a post on Reddit, a user identified himself as Brian Koberger. That would have to be proven. Asked for it, and he asked for people who had spent time in prison to take a survey about their crimes. And the survey listed Mr. Koberger as a student investigator working with two professors at the university. And it asked respondents to describe their thoughts, emotions, and actions from beginning to the end of the crime commission process. And this is important because he's feeling out what they did and they're in prison. So if he really is studying criminals, yeah, let's find out what they did and where they went wrong. Pretty sneaky if that's what happened. So after the killings, Mr. Koberger and his dad, who had traveled from Pennsylvania, they begin their drive back to their family home in what Mr. Koberger's initial public defenders said was a trip that had been planned since the start of his studies at Washington State. So again, we can imagine how excited the dad was. His son's doing well. He wants to go out there and bring his son home. During that trip, according to 
police body cam footage, they were pulled over two times and just in a span of a few minutes in Indiana for traffic violations. They were riding too close on the person in front of them. So someone might have been in a hurry. Each time, though, they were let go with a warning. So they got a good deal there, but who knew what'd be coming? At that point, Mr. Koberger had a new Washington state license plate on his car, something that he had just gotten five days after the killings. So more movement timed around these murders, not looking good for Koberger. So we have looked at the murders, the people in the house. We've looked at the suspect. So what was going on with the authorities? Okay, we know they walked back earlier statements. In the first few days after the killings, the Moscow Police Department, they played down residents' fears about a killer on the loose. They said on the day of the attack that the department does not believe there is an ongoing community risk. And then two days later, that was when they said there is no imminent threat to the community at large. But three days after the killings, Chief James Fry pulled back from those earlier assurances and said, we can't say there's no threat to the community. And he said that at a news conference, and that was three days later again. So that'd be November 16th. Officials had also insisted that the killings appeared to be targeted, but then declined to say why they thought that. And then later, the police admitted that they actually weren't sure if those attacks were targeted or not. And the about face was one of several contradictory comments from city and county officials. The mayor of Moscow said after the killings that the case was considered a crime of passion, but then later he said he wasn't sure. And I don't know, that just screams ignorance to me. What do you guys think? I mean, just because someone is stabbed, it's not always a crime of passion. And if Koberger, for instance, if he's guilty, was studying crime, he would know that by using a knife and doing these stabbings, it could be confused as that. So if that was the case, it's pretty genius. He really was trying to cover his tracks, but you can't always assume exactly what you see firsthand. You got to look into it first and get to know the crime a little bit and what actually happened. So what do you guys think? Was it irresponsible that the police were telling everybody anything? Should they have just kept their mouth shut from the get-go? And how confident are you now in what they have to say? They did pull through with the suspect. It's looking pretty good. Does that mean they get to be forgiven? I really do want to know what you think. Because this happens all the time. And do police just get away with this? Telling a community they are safe when they are not sure, to me, is not very responsible. But let me know what you think. And then, of course, we have the town of Moscow. What's going on in that town? I can tell you that they are not known for murder. Because as I mentioned earlier, they hadn't recorded a murder in seven years. This is a community of about 25,000 people on the Washington state line, and the university has about 11,000 students. The city had not recorded a murder in more than seven years. Students said in interviews that they normally just felt safe walking around town late at night or leaving bikes unlocked around campus. It was a nice place to be, but after the killings, many of the students actually left campus early for camp Thanksgiving break. They were worried about this apparent killer on the loose, and no assurances from the police helped them. They just didn't feel it. As for the students that stayed, they, they've been talking, and they've been saying that they took a lot more precautions and walking around in groups rather than alone. 
And as an example, businesses, there's a coffee shop that told patrons, hey, we're closing early because we want to get our employees home before dark. So they're trying to take care of their employees. So this affected more than just these four people. We have their families, the other students, the entire town, the police that are frustrated, his family back home. None of this is good. It spreads. The ripple effect of murder is very big. And we're talking four. Four innocent college students trying to do the right thing. They're studying, trying to build a future, living their lives, coming into adulthood. This is a very, very big deal. It's really sad. Mostly sad for the victims and their families, I would imagine. Let's talk about these victims. What do we know about them? We have Madison. She went by Maddie. She was a senior from Coeur d'Alene who was majoring in marketing. Her grandmother said that Madison had always been gentle and a caring person who kept many long-term friendships and close ties with extended family. Her boyfriend was Jake Schreiger, and she had been excited for graduation next year, Madison had, and had talked about wanting to explore other parts of the world. Madison always spread positivity. She brought acts of kindness to others. Mr. Schreiger said, that adding that he hoped people would remember her for the love that she gave to others. In a quote, he has said, there's no words that I can really describe her, how amazing she was and how wonderful of a person she was. I really feel bad for that guy. Then you have Kaylee, who was from Rathdam, Idaho. She had been set to graduate early in December, and then she was planning to move to Austin, Texas with one of her close friends in June. This friend, Jordan, said that Kaylee had secured a position with a marketing firm, and she was just excited to explore more of this country. She had dreams. She had been done. She was ready. She wanted adventure. Ethan. So Ethan was from Conway, Washington, and he was one of a set of triplets, which let's just think about that for a second. We know how tight twins are. Triplets, we don't talk about as much, but it's the same for them. They have lost a piece of their threesome. And so that's just adding another layer to how devastating this is. And he had spent a lot of the day before the killings, November 12th, with both of his siblings, and they're also students of the University of Idaho. Again, here we are spreading the misery. They are at school where their brother, one of the triplets, was murdered. I don't even know how they could still go there. I'm not sure if, you know, they could even handle it. I'm sure we'll have more about that, but it's just awful. Zana, Zana grew up in Idaho, but she had spent time in Arizona in recent years, And the dad has said that his daughter was very strong-willed and she enjoyed her independent life in college. So this girl was going places. She could handle college. She wanted more. She was independent. The dad said that his daughter had apparently tried to fight her attacker. And this account is backed up by the coroner. And he expressed shock that his daughter could have been killed while at home with friends. And he also, he had no clue when asked who could have committed these attacks because she was with her friends at the time and she didn't have any big known enemies. Four people, folks, with lives they were just starting, all in college, trying to do the right thing, 
having a little bit of fun on a Saturday night. And honestly, what they did before they got home probably has nothing to do with this. They weren't even all together. They were doing innocent things. But somehow when they got home, this happened. Now, how did the murderer know when they were home? I mean, he slipped right in and slipped right out. Seemed like not very long. Did he know they were home? Did he care who was home? Were those four actually who he wanted to kill or did he know before he went in? And why, when the one roommate saw him, did he let her live? Because he had done what he wanted to do and it was time to go. He didn't want to make more problems. Maybe the fifth person would have been out of his plan that he made out of all of his criminology courses. And so he didn't want to mess anything up. And that's all if he's guilty, guys. Has to be proven guilty. We'll see. Looks that way. But you're innocent until proven guilty. Let's not forget. But at the end of the day, this is just a big tragedy. And that's really all I have to sum everything up at the end of this week for what's going on with the Idaho murders. I always like to hear your feedback, guys, and I appreciate you taking the time to tune in today. And keep on listening. We always have more stories to share.